morning. <clears throat> Welcome to First Church this morning, those here in attendance and those listening on the radio. Uh, a few announcements this morning before we start our service. First, we want to welcome back Kay to the organ and the piano this morning. It's always a blessing, uh, as she reminded us with the prelude this morning, <clears throat> of all the blessings that we have and we've been given. So it was uh, really nice to have Kay back. The consistory has called for a congregational meeting on Sunday, May 20th, immediately following the morning service. The purpose is to discuss the current conditioning of the heating system and approve the cost of having an engineering firm design a replacement heating system for the church building. Also on May 20th, following the congregational meeting, <coughs> excuse me, the youth will be having a mission trip taco bar fundraiser. Students are helping with this, need to be here that morning at 8.30. And now if we could rise for our call to worship. The call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your statues, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for in its days. We will remain standing and sing our opening hymn, number 74, Majesty.
Now, as we invite the children to come forward for children's chat with Maria Lammers, we would invite everyone to greet their neighbors. How are you guys today? Good. Hey, I gave some thought today to what we should talk about. And one thing kept coming back to me. It's not a very fun word, but I thought it was a word that we could maybe remember with the change of the seasons and stuff. That new word is called rules. Is that a very fun word? No, No, it's not a very fun word, is it? Who gave us our first rules? Who gave us our first rules? God. And who did he give them to? Who did he give our first rules to? He gave them to us, but who went up on Mount Sinai and who did God give them to? Moses. Good job. You remembered. He gave them to Moses, right? Yeah, God gave them to Moses. And those, what did we call those rules? Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. That's right. So God gives us rules to live by, right? Listen to mom and dad. Keep holy the Sabbath day. That means... Try not to do a lot of work on on Sunday. Um, don't want what other people want. Those don't steal. Yeah. Okay. Who else has rules? Who else has rules? Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. Aunts and uncles. Aunts and uncles. Anybody else have rules? Do you have rules at the babysitter? Do you? What about you? Do you have rules at the babysitter? Yeah. yeah as he rolls his eyes, he says yes. <laughs> we don't go to the babysitter. We stay at our house. I know. You're pretty lucky. Do you have rules, though? Yep, you have rules. What about at school? Do we have rules at school? Lots of rules at school, Caleb. <laughs> yep, we have lots of rules. Why do we have rules? Why do we have, why did God give us the Ten Commandments? Exactly, Jojo, to keep us safe. Now, are those rules always fun to follow? No, No, they're not always fun to follow, but we have to follow them to keep us safe. Yep, teachers have rules too, believe me. Okay? But we need those rules, we need those guidelines to keep us safe. And that's why God gave us the Ten Commandments is because we need those rules to follow so that we know what is expected of us. And when we follow those rules, good things happen, right? What is the best thing that's going to happen when we follow the Ten Commandments? You go to heaven. You're going to get to go to heaven. That's right. What happens when you follow the rules at school, Caleb? Yeah, you still get to go to heaven. But does it make your teacher smile? Do you keep a green light? Yes, exactly. Okay? So, as we fall, come into summertime and spring, there's going to be new rules about being safe. Okay? And that's, that's just something that we need to remember. That sometimes rules aren't fun to follow. But there's something that's there to keep us safe. And because God loves us very much and wants us to be with him in heaven someday. Okay? So let's pray about that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the Ten Commandments so that we know how to live. So that someday we can get to heaven. 
Be with us as this warm weather comes about. Keep us self safe and help us to remember these rules so that we can be safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Killed this week in Nangarhar province in Afghanistan, specialist I'm going to have to get better glasses. <laughs> Specialist Gabriel D. Conde, 22, from Loveland, Colorado, died in a plane crash of a, the WC-130 in Savannah, Georgia. Major Jose R. Roman Rosando from Manatee, Puerto Rico. Major Carlos Perez Serra from Canovanas, Puerto Rico. First Lieutenant David Albandas from Madison, Alabama. Senior Master Sergeant John Paravicini from Canovaras, Puerto Rico. Master Sergeant Jean Otterifred from Carolina, Puerto Rico. Master Sergeant Mario Brana from Bayamon, Puerto Rico. Master Sergeant Victor Colon from Santa Isabel, Puerto Rico, Master Sergeant Eric Circuns from Rio Grande, Puerto Rico, Senior Airman Roberto Espada from Salinas, Puerto Rico. Before we lift our hearts up to the Lord in prayer, I just want to uh, make a comment about our National Day of Prayer we had uh, this past Thursday. Uh, there were several of us from our, our church here at First Church in New Knoxville that went and joined uh, the church in Cutlersville to uh, lift up our, our nation, our world, our community, and our churches in prayer. And it was such a blessing to, to gather with others and, and worship and pray together. It was a reminder that uh, that we can gather with other Christians, you know, not just here, but but around our community, and and we worship the same God and pray to the same God, and had an opportunity to to do that on Thursday night. Uh, but it was also a reminder that that prayer is not meant just for one day, but it's meant for every day, and we have an opportunity as Christians and unhindered access to the Lord through prayer, and and we should not take that for granted. So so keep that in mind this day and every day that we have an opportunity to pray for those things that are concerned to us and are concern in our communities, and we know that we have a God who loves us and is, and is listening. So let, with that in mind, let's pray together this morning. Father, I am so grateful uh, that we have an opportunity to pray to you, uh, and that we can do so together here at First Church, and we can do so in our homes, and we can do so as we gather with other believers from other churches. Uh, Lord, it is one body of Christ that you have created, and, and we are united together in our common faith in you and our trust in you. And so I thank you that we have an opportunity to pray for those things that concern us, uh, for those things that are a burden on our hearts and our minds and our bodies, Lord. I do pray that you would uh, meet our needs through Christ Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray for healing for, for the bodies of those who are in need, who are dealing with cancer and other illnesses, Lord. We pray that, that they would be healed and, and, and that the treatments they're receiving would be effective and for wisdom for the doctors and their treatment. 
I pray for other concerns as well. Uh, Lord, you know what is going on with the names that are on our concerns list and, and with each person that is hearing my voice right now. I pray that you would work, that your will would be done, and that your glory would be seen in and through each of those circumstances. I pray for peace, I pray for reconciliation, and I pray for your provision. And Lord, ultimately I pray that, that, that people would know you and find hope in you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. Invite those who are helping at the offering to come forward at this time.
encourage you to stay standing this morning as we hear the words from today's scripture. If you have your Bibles, please turn them to Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the city of Lyconium, of Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding country where they continue to preach the gospel. If you could please remain standing and open your blue hymnals to hymn number 277, The Church's One Foundation.
Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for the opportunity to stand here and share your word again this morning. And I pray that you give me the words to speak and that you open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now, it may not look like it now, but I promise you, at one point in my life, I was a, somewhat of an athlete. Um, I, when I was a kid, I played sports, and all through high school, I played football and basketball, and, and I really enjoyed that experience, but I had two very different experiences, I would say, with those two sports. Uh, I enjoyed them both, loved, loved them both, uh, but our football team did pretty good. Basketball team, not so much. Uh, and, and I think that really had an impact on the way that I, I perceived those sports at the time and the, and the kind of effort that I put into those things, not only myself, but I think my teammates as well. I said our football team did, did fairly well. Um, you know, we weren't a powerhouse by any means, but, but during my years there, we had a little bit of success. We actually won a sectional championship for the first time in school history. But I know that's nothing compared to some schools around here. I've seen, I've heard of shirts of New Knoxville football team being undefeated since 1924. That is really impressive. Um, so we had, we're not quite there yet, but, but we had, we had some success. And so I think because of that, because of the success that we had, um, both in the years before I started playing and the, the years I was there, it motivated us, it motivated us to work that much harder. Right? It, it motivated us to get up early in the morning and go lift weights before school, to, to get up in the summer and go and, and, and work out with the team and run drills before the season officially started. Um, and, and that hard work then paid off in, in terms of more results and more positive results. Basketball, on the other hand, we struggled to be even 500 for the season. Um, it wasn't as much fun to go out and practice when you knew that it wasn't turning into wins like you expected it to. And so I think the results that we experienced really had an impact on the kind of effort that we put in, the kind of perseverance that we had during the season. What we're seeing here today with Paul and Barnabas is they get mixed results. Their preaching here in Iconium was met with both positive, exciting, encouraging results, many people uh, responding to their effective preaching and coming to the Lord, but then they also had some negative results, some people who opposed them, some people who poisoned the minds of other, other people in the city against Paul and Barnabas and their teaching. But what we see here is not, they didn't give up though. They didn't just stick with the good results and turn their back on those, on those negative results. What we see here is an example of enduring faithfulness, of people who, no matter the results, good or bad, continued to persevere, continued to strive towards the goal that God had given them, and to strive towards the purpose and the mission that God had placed on their lives. See, being committed to Christ is not about just following Him when it's easy, or following Him when the results are what we expect them to be. It's about following Him no matter what the results are because being faithful to Him is what really matters. And so that's what we see here in this passage before us today is, is some mixed results, but their enduring faithfulness. The first thing I want us to notice here is that, that being committed to Christ will lead to results. They just may not be the ones you expect them to be. 
Paul and Barnabas continue the pattern that we talked about last week. They go to the Jewish synagogue in this town and, and begin to preach the gospel and share the good news of Jesus Christ. But yet there's this dual response. As I already said, many people, both Jews and Greeks, believed as a result of their effective preaching. But a number of Jews who refused to believe stirred up a negative response to their ministry. See, mixed results are common in life and in ministry as well. And remember, when I talk about ministry, I'm not talking about just what I do up here, but it's what we all do together as we strive to live out God's calling and purpose on our lives. I was reminded this week that one of the first sermons I preached after we moved here in the summer of 2016 is we're all in this together. And it's so true. We're all in this together. We all have a calling and a purpose. And sometimes that's going to have mixed results. That's common. And there's many factors that contribute that that we don't have time to get into today. But sometimes people are going to respond positively to our to what God is doing in this church and in this community. And sometimes it's very possible that people are going to respond negatively or somewhere in between those two. But people will respond when we faithfully pursue after what God is calling us to do. They might, they might be positive or negative responses, but they will respond. And we need to remember that, that a positive response does not necessarily indicate faithfulness. See, it's very possible to gain a wide acceptance without remaining true to God's Word. And at the same time, a negative response does not necessarily mean unfaithfulness. What matters is staying true to the Gospel and preaching the truth of God's Word consistently and effectively. I want to read a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 4. And once again, these are Paul's words to a young man named Timothy who was uh, who was a pastor in this early church, and Paul was writing this letter to encourage him and to build him up. And beginning in chapter 4, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, Paul's message to Timothy is simple. Preach the word. Keep preaching it. And be ready to do it in season and out of season. Stick to it because a time will come when people don't want to hear it. And they'll reject the truth of God's Word and replace it with whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll rather be comforted with lies and half-truths than than confronted with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But hear this. People's response does not determine the worth or the truthfulness of the message. If something is true, then it's true whether people receive it or not. If it is true whether people want it to be true or not. And so the validity of God's word is not determined by popular vote. Right? The Bible is true because the truth is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, who is revealed to us through God's word. We can rely on it, we can hold fast to it, even when others don't, because it's true no matter what. But you may ask, what, what does no response indicate? Right? There's going to be times when people are just indifferent to the work of God in their lives or the work of God in this church and this community. 
See, churches and ministries and, and individuals may go through periods where there is very little if no response. And this does not disqualify their ministry. It may just be a dry season. It may just be a, a time when, when, when people are just uh, have hardened hearts towards what is happening. But if there is no response over a long period of time, one has to wonder right, about the faithfulness of that ministry. Put, put it another way. And I want you to seriously think about this question here. If First Church were to disappear today, if we were to just be gone from this community, would people notice? What kind of impact would our absence have in New Knoxville and the surrounding communities? Now, I stand here today and I think there will be a notice. People will realize that we're gone. But that question is still one to think about nonetheless. What kind of impact are we having? How are we, how are people responding to the ministry we have here? And would they notice if we were gone? We may go through seasons like this, but we can't stay there. We can't remain stagnant and ineffective in ministry. Satan loves nothing more than a church distracted from its purpose. You see, Satan isn't really concerned about our focus being on him. Right? His, his goal isn't for us to be focused on him all the time. All he cares about, what he really wants, is simply for us to be distracted from Christ. To see our eyes move from him to anything else. If that's the case, then he's accomplished his purpose. And why is that? Because an ineffective and distracted church does not make an impact for the kingdom of God. And so we must remain focused. Like Paul and Barnabas, we must continue to press on toward the mission God has given us, to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to make disciples of Jesus. You see, the results aren't up to us. It's not our responsibility to save anyone. God does that work. It's His Holy Spirit who softens a person's heart so they are receptive to the gospel. All He asks is for us to share it, to share the good news, to point people towards Jesus, to speak the truth. We play a part, but God is the one who produces the results. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 says, After this, after, excuse me, after all, who is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each, as the Lord has assigned to each has a task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. See, each one of us has a task given to us by the Lord. Your job may, to be, may be to plant the seed. Another person's job is to water it. Maybe my job is to nurture that soil. But ultimately, it's God who makes it grow. God is the one who produces the result of faith in a person's life. And so we see here that Paul and Barnabas' ministry produced results, but it also required faithful endurance. Verse 3 takes an interesting turn. Verse 2 ends describing the opposition that the group of missionaries were experiencing. People's minds have been poisoned against them, and it sounds like it was a good time to give up and to, to move out of town. But instead of doing that, Paul and Barnabas doubled down their efforts. They spent considerable time there, it says, speaking about the Lord. It's as if they spent more time preaching in Iconium as a result of the opposition that they would have than they would have otherwise. When faced with opposition, God's people need to respond faithfully and with 
a spirit of enabled, excuse me, with spirit-enabled endurance. You see, they remained there because that is where the need was the greatest. The opposition meant that there were still people who needed to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, about his saving grace. To give up now was to allow the enemies of God to win, and that wasn't an option for them. And so endurance is what was needed. Perseverance was what was needed. But it must come from somewhere outside of ourselves. It's not enough to continue to face opposition under our own power. We will eventually burn out and give up. Instead, we must rely on God's Spirit to to equip us and to encourage us to endure faithfully. And so what does a lack of enduring faithfulness look like? I think we need to look no further than the the wilderness wanderings of God's people, Israel. Uh, Love this story of, 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 of these people were rescued out of Egypt, out of slavery. They had seen God deliver them in miraculous ways through the plagues and through the crossing of the Red Sea. But as soon as they get past that, as soon as they go through that time of deliverance and they enter into the wilderness, they begin to complain and grumble. They begin to say, wasn't there enough food in Egypt for us to eat? Weren't there enough graves for us to be buried in that you brought us out here into the desert to die? And over and over and over again, they complained to Moses and Aaron and the other leaders and complained to God. But God endured their complaining And it took them 40 years to wander through the wilderness to come out the other side. In the same way, Peter, on the night Jesus was arrested, betrayed him three times. Denied even knowing the guy. But then a change happens. The same Peter denied Christ three times on the night he was betrayed was the first one to preach the sermon at Pentecost. He was the one who boldly went out and was a leader in that early church right alongside Paul. See, what changed? What, what was the difference in Peter's life from that night Jesus died to the time afterwards when he was willing to give his life for the gospel, when he was willing to endure hardship and even imprisonment? It was the Spirit. God's Spirit had filled him to such a degree that he was emboldened and empowered to speak the truth and to live in a sense of perseverance and boldness that he didn't have before. See, it's God working in us that enables us to faithfully endure in the face of opposition. There's several passages we can point to. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 talks about patience being a fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God, how, how we must put on the armor of God in order to stand and endure during difficult times. I want to point to Colossians chapter 1 and read that for us. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. It says, for this reason, again, this is Paul speaking, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. See, it's through a knowledge of God and that that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that gives us that endurance, the power to stay true even during those difficult times. So what does faithful endurance look like for us? What does it mean to endure faithfully? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to be thrown in jail like Paul and Peter had over the course of their ministry. 
It comes out in in more ordinary but still very important ways. Enduring faithfulness looks like the Sunday school teacher who faithfully serves year in, year out, and sometimes for decades in order to teach children about the love of God. It's about not being ashamed to share your faith with family, friends, co-workers, even if it means facing their ridicule. It means intentionally studying God's Word and spending time in prayer, especially when it's inconvenient to do so. It means submitting to the authority for, of God's Word, especially when it's inconvenient or unpopular. It means faithfully parenting in today's culture, raising children to know the Lord, teaching them to study God's Word and to pray, and praying for them daily, especially when they go astray, and especially as they grow to be adults and make decisions that are beyond your control. Enduring faithfully means the missionary who gives up comforts that we take for granted and serve God in order to preach the gospel. And it means investing in people and communities for the long haul, not seeking a quick fix, but patiently waiting for God to work in and through them. Like a farmer who patiently waits for the ground day after day, season after season, waiting for the ground to produce its crop. That's what faithful endurance looks like. And it means we have to keep seeking hard after God. We may not see the results we expect, and we may not even see the fruit of our labor, but it means keeping strong and seeking after Him. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And finally, we want to talk about how God confirms the gospel for us. It says here in verse, the second half of verse 3 that, that Paul and Barnabas' ministry was effective because God confirmed it through signs and wonders. Notice that Paul and Barnabas, it doesn't do, they don't do the miracles. It's not about them doing it, but it's about God enabling them to do it. He is the source of their power, just as He was the source of their endurance and strength. And, it's, and He is the one who makes it happen by His Spirit. See, there's two things we often struggle with. One is that we focus on the miracle themselves. We focus on the, the gifts and the benefits that we may receive from God working in our lives. And we focus on the gift rather than the giver. There's a story in Mark chapter 2 of Jesus healing a crippled man. There was such a crowd around Jesus as he was teaching that the people couldn't even get in and out of the house, so they dug a hole through the roof and lowered their friend in there. And Jesus says, not get up and walk, but he says, your sins are forgiven. And people are all upset about this and question why Jesus has the authority to do that, to forgive someone their sins. And so he says, in order for you to believe and understand that, that I, the Son of Man, have the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, get up and walk. And that crippled man stood, picked up his mat, and walked out of the house. You see, the healing, the miracle, was done in order to confirm the reality of who Jesus was. The reality of his ability to forgive sins and to extend grace and mercy to others. The miracle simply pointed to that fact. And that's true for all miracles. That's true for the ways that God works in our lives. They're, they're not meant as ends in themselves. They're meant to point us to the reality of God's saving grace and his love for us in Christ. The second thing we often struggle with when we talk about miracles or signs and wonders is we focus on the one performing them rather than the one who enables us to receive them. We've all can probably think of, you know, our, our televangelist of choice, right? 
that promises faith healing and miracle works and, and all of these other things. They, they hold rallies where people come and, and the focus and the spotlight is on the person on stage rather than God. And it's a temptation we all struggle with. We, we, have, we do a really good job at putting people up on pedestals and shoving people into the spotlight whether they want it to or not. And that can have devastating results. And I don't want to get too much further into this because we're going to see this play out in our next section of Scripture as well. But the problem we have a problem when we focus too much on, on the person or on the miracle itself instead of on God and what He's trying to do in our lives. And so the signs and wonders that God enables them to perform are simply meant to confirm the gospel of grace. To confirm the message that Paul and Barnabas were sharing about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But let us also remember that God uses a variety of means to encourage us and to confirm the truth of the gospel. They don't have to be miraculous. He often uses the less than miraculous to encourage us and build us up. Like the kind words of strangers and friends. Like the, just the confirmation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we read His Word and He confirms those things for us. Seeing, seeing, looking back, I know I talked about this last week, looking back on your life and seeing how God has been working and active is a way to confirm you know, His presence and His ministry. There's a, many, there's a variety of ways. It doesn't have to be a miracle. God confirms over and over again the gospel of grace by, by working in our lives in large and small ways. You see, signs and wonders are examples of God's enduring faithfulness towards us. It's His faithfulness that inspires and confirms our faithfulness. The greatest reminder of God's enduring faithfulness towards us is communion. The bread and the cup represent Jesus' broken body and His shed blood. He endured the cross for us, for sinners. Before the cross, we were dead in our sins. Before the cross, we were in rebellion against our Creator. But after the cross... After Jesus' death and resurrection, we are set free, we are redeemed, and we are cleansed from sin and given new life in Christ. And so as we receive communion in a moment, remember God's enduring faithfulness toward you in Christ. Receive it and be encouraged. Be encouraged to remain faithful as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you have given us the example of your Son. As Hebrews 12, 1-3 says, We must fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, at the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of of Christ's bread, Christ's body and blood. Uh, And I pray that as we receive communion in just a moment, that we will be encouraged by it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We've talked a lot about faithful endurance today, about continuing to persevere even when the results aren't what you expect them to be. You see, it's only possible because of what Christ has done for us. We can endure because He endured on our behalf. We can be faithful because He was faithful toward us. And that's what this reminds us of today. Take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
sinners in need of a Savior. And knowing that, God sent his Son into this world in order to die on the cross for us so that our sins could be forgiven. Reflect on the reality that we have all fallen short, yet God loved us enough to send his Son. Take and eat his body, knowing that he died for you.
deeply sorry, Lord, for the ways that we've fallen short, both in, in, in word and thought and in deed. But Lord, we are so grateful that you loved us enough, that you still love us, to welcome us into your family through, through your son's broken body and shed blood. I pray this reminder this morning would encourage us, would, would build us up, that your faithfulness toward us would encourage us to be faithful to you and to your church. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. I encourage you to stand and sing in closing number 47. God will take care of you.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.